0: Thank you for turning into part two. We appreciate you listening and enjoy. So Yale, would you mind starting us off on, so we're going to now have our round table event with Yale, Richard and Eric and myself, of course. So Yale, would you mind starting us off?
1: Sure. Um, Eric, first I, I must say, it's nice to hear a healthy appreciation for the vigorousness of competition by an investment professional. And that that recognition certainly comes through. Um, I guess my uh, my couple of questions would revolve around, one, you know, Amazon internationally is investing heavily in Europe uh, and India, and they're going to run across, you know, major competitors, certainly, uh, definitely run across Alibaba. And now, I think yesterday we saw they're uh, taking on uh, Google, a few different areas. So I guess my question would be, you know, how do you see that? And then the other question I, I have to bring up is, with respect to your clients, how do you keep them disciplined in terms of allocating capital when they ask you why why aren't we in uh, Amazon or why aren't we in Facebook why aren't we in Tesla Um, you know as we all know capital is scarce for most people and um, you know it's it's not easy to keep them focused on how to get the most for your money so I, I that's I'm just curious about that and I'd love to hear your thoughts and really appreciate your participation thanks
2: well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And it's and those are those are both really great questions. In terms of uh, the international opportunity, I think you know I think there's definitely there's definitely opportunities on the international front, on the global front for a company like Amazon. But I would say you know their, um, their eventual success in expanding internationally is likely to be spotty. Uh, You know, the the historical landscape is littered with companies that have had varying degrees of success in uh, um, successfully expanding outside of, um, you know, outside of their familiar U.S. market or familiar North American market. Um, And one of the things that that tends to come into play is that. You have, you have companies that have had tremendous success, uh, and, and I, can, I, I see this as a challenge for Amazon going forward, where you have a tremendous amount of success in one market or in a select group of markets, and a try, trying to apply that business model to, um, to other markets, it may not translate very well. Or it may not really adapt well to um, the, the norms and customs of any given, any given domestic market. Um, so, you know, the, the transferability that is something that can be fraught with challenges. And certainly there are companies that have had tremendous success with it, thinking of, you know, McDonald's, for example, that has um, made a tr- tremendous success of expanding globally. Um, but it is one that is, you know, uh, marked with its fits and starts um, and varying degrees degrees of success and, and circling back and transforming along the way to make it work in each individual market. So I, I think the opportunity is there, um, but it's one that is you know going to be bound with some challenges uh, going forward. The, the other factor that can come into play, particularly with a company like Amazon, the one thing that can definitely be an issue in certain markets is the the, the interest of certain sovereigns to try to protect the, the, the competitive um, abilities of their own domestic companies um, can also be a factor as well. That, you know, making, making life difficult for the outsider to come into the new market and compete, um, that can be a challenge as, as well. And something that I suspect that, that Amazon will encounter in some of these markets as they try to continue to expand uh, going forward. So um, and in terms of, uh, you know, the client perspective, uh, another great question, you know, one of the things that I've always found in dealing with clients over time is, you know, the communication is so important in terms of the philosophy to understand, you know, there's a process that we're following in terms of of valuing stocks and identifying the types of stocks that we want to own. And there will be points when that philosophy is is in favor and there will be points when that philosophy is out of favor, and there will be points where there are securities that uh, may not fit into the process that we're following that are doing fantastically well, um, and maybe it's worth evaluating those types of holdings to see if they, you know, they have a part um, in you know recognizing that markets change over time, and the need to evolve. Um, over time within that discipline framework um, is something that's a recognition. Um, But at the end of the day, the question comes into play is, you know, okay, maybe something is experiencing fantastic returns like a Tesla um, or or a Bitcoin for that matter. Um, But what is the sustainability of those returns over time and what is the likelihood of the continuation of even further returns um, above and beyond what's already been realized to that point.
3: I uh, have never been an Amazon fan up until I uh, started studying it uh, to prepare for this podcast. Uh, you've got it all wrong, I think, all of you on Amazon. First, it's uh, not in several businesses and all sorts of businesses globally. Amazon has one product. They're a customer fulfillment service. And they do it excellently. And they do it across all aspects of customer fulfillment, by, from identifying the product that the customers want so that they put the merchant, the, the product, and the customer in contact with each other with the right price point, with the right delivery system, with the right scaling of it globally, with the ability to, to create the confidence of that middleman uh, so that the transaction can take place, et cetera. Fulfillment is what they do, and it's a common thread throughout everything they're doing. Uh, next, valuations. I think you've again made the, the classic mistake that uh, Wall Street makes, and you've gone immediately to the, uh, the multiple, the price earnings multiple as a valuation metric. That's, that's, that's just not right. The proper valuation metric is the one that actually works. Any valuation metric is just a model. We'll touch more on this in the macro discussion. But the bottom line is if you calculate price, if you plot price ratio against actual share price and and you use that ratio as a price predictor at any given time. So here's what the earnings are. this is what the predicted price is on a historical uh, ratio, either within the company or with competitors, it doesn't fit. There's no correlation with Amazon. So it's not a valid valuation metric. Now, on the other hand, if you take price to operating cash flow, it's an excellent correlation. For the last 10 years, it's been, I'm going to call it almost an overlay, even with the, the rapid growth and the, uh, the noise within the trading, within that pullbacks and surges. Uh, operating cash flow does predict price at any given time very well and, and for the period going forward. The 2017 is the first time almost in the company's history that price has gotten ahead of operating cash flow ratios, uh, but we're just now in the Christmas season where there's going to be a huge chunk of cash flow coming forward that, uh, that Amazon has invested in. So just on those two factors alone, it turns out in fact that on a price operating cash flow uh, ratio at twenty eight to one, which is their historic number that correlates well. The uh, predicted price for Amazon right now should be a thousand and fifty dollars. That's close enough to my uh, to the eleven hundred trading at
1: to to be a keeper to me. I'd love to respond to that. I would say first of all, I would say that in any valuation analysis, typically are going to use all kinds of metrics. But if we if we just focus on one, which I I think you usually you you want to focus on uh, cash flow, operating cash flow, EBITDA, EBITDA, EBITDA EV to EBITDA, any of those, those metrics. By any historical ratio analysis, Amazon's valuation is, if it's not at the top of the spectrum in terms of the multiples that people have paid historically, it's as close as anything has ever been, other than maybe the internet bubble. And so from a from a sustainability standpoint and the ability to grow standpoint and the ability to grow cash flow standpoint those multiples are way too high from a risk reward standpoint and that's that would be my answer
2: no R- richard i think you may you raise a lot of great points in terms of and one of the things that you know, i you know i've i've spent time with over the years is trying to understand the you know the valuation model for for Amazon I think you're absolutely right it's an operating cash flow story uh not an earning story um and I think just building on the on the counterpoint that Yale made you're you're right the correlation is there um the question the, the question that I have going forward is the sustainability of that question you know at what price going forward you know because uh being at the high end of those, those historical metrics, is that something that they'll be able to maintain over time? Um, and, that, and that is the primary question that I have for their valuation going forward. But you, make, you, r- you raise a number of great counterpoints.
3: Yeah, as far as the, the multiple on operating cash flow being too great uh, to, for it to keep up to be reasonable, in 2002, when Amazon was trading for less than $25 a share, the price per operating cash flow was 28 to 1 the ratio. That's the same as it is today, and it's the same as it's been year after year after year. The, the, the fundamental value of a company is what a willing buyer and a willing seller are willing to make a meeting of the minds into a transaction. At. They have demonstrated for the past 15 years that at a ratio of 28 to 1 price to operating cash flow, that is the valuation of Amazon, and the fact that it has been so consistent over so long a time, even through such soaring times as the past couple of years, proves it's a valid valuation and and the only one that's important. Let me say I'm a valuation guy, and I don't look for how a company fits or fails to fit a model. I look for the financial metrics that actually fit and correlate to the company's price performance. And that is, in fact, what the valuation of that particular company is based on and should be used. And in Amazon's case, it's a 28 to 1 price to operating cash flow ratio.
0: I do want to ask you a question on this, Richard. Are you concerned at all that so many people do pay attention to the PE and the earnings estimates and the EPS that a miss and a lack of continuing support from Wall Street? would put that, uh, that, that metric at risk due to the occasional fickle nature of uh, markets?
3: Not at all, Russell. In fact, that's a very important point that a value investor must always keep in mind. Price, market price, and value are two different things. The break in correlation between price and value is what creates bubbles and windows of opportunity as bargains. When, as you described, a myopic analyst looks at P.E. ratio where it's a not a valid valuation and and comes to an improper conclusion, therefore, and sends a stock price tumbling
0: briefly. That's price that's tumbled, not value. That's a buying opportunity. Very lively and interesting discussion. Uh, Amazon is a very complicated topic. Well, in the spirit of Amazon and in the discussion that we just had with some very interesting points being made on both sides of it. We're actually, our macro topic today is actually gonna be risk and and more specifically, multiples that people are paying. Some people say that the multiples are too high because they are relying too heavily on future earnings and that could cause an issue. Uh, This isn't just on companies like Amazon. Tesla has been hit with a lot of these accusations and next episode we will be interviewing somebody about Tesla, very excited about that. So. Eric, could you please start us off on this?
2: Right. I think one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing from a macroeconomic perspective going into the next year is, uh, you know, we've had uh, one of the longest sustained economic expansions. uh, Although it's been a sluggish economic expansion, it's been one of the longest in history. And a big driver of that has been, uh, you know, the monetary policy environment uh, where we've had uh, extraordinarily accommodative stimulus programs from global central banks um, that have existed throughout the post-crisis period going back to 2009. One of the things that's going to be taking place in 2018 is that, that that steady tailwind that has been behind the global economy for so many years, that the winds are going to be dying down in 2018, where um, you know the Federal Reserve has already raised interest rates four times, set to raise interest rates again here in December, potentially three more times in 2018, while increasing the amount that they're shrinking their balance sheet. Um, the People's Bank of China is been, you know, in, increasing their regulatory um, crackdown is a bit of a strong word, but um, on some of the things that have been going on in their shadow banking system, the European Central Bank is going to be uh, cutting their their stimulus program in half. So, what we're going to see in 2018 is an economy. Uh, you know, what does it really look like when 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 the tide waters start to to go back out?
3: Again, I think you make a disconnect. Markets are responding. The change in the nature of markets is responding to the change in the nature of commerce and industry. Wall Street looks at things from what's happened in cycles. The markets have never had such a continuous long-term expansion. That's not how actual economies and businesses work. We looked at Are we still finding more innovative ways to squeeze greater efficiency out of, to create a new product that stimulates demand, to create entire new technologies? These are what stimulate and drive growing and advancing markets. These are still occurring, and they're occurring faster than ever and at a faster and faster pace. That's why we're having a long, sustained economic growth. Monetary policy? Monetary policy is money supply, and that will affect interest rates, which can be a constraint on growth and a stimulus to inflation. So that it is important from that standpoint, but fundamental growth of value in a market has nothing to do with monetary supply other than those side-issue uh, tailwinds and headwinds of inflation and, and, uh, and tight money. Certainly corrections are healthy, and I, I wish we'd have one, uh, but uh, that's just a technical standpoint. that's not really a fundamental of a market value driver.
2: No, I actually agree with you on that point. I don't think that it's something you know mon- the, 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 sh- the shifts in monetary stimulus may not necessarily be things, uh, be forces that undermine economic growth. Or, or that continued innovation going forward uh, I think the I think the greater pressures could come into play in terms of you know the the impact on on valuation and certainly the the, the monetary forces over the past decade have had an inflating effect on asset prices um, the question becomes is as that support goes away you know will will asset prices be able to maintain the 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 inflating effect that they've received up to this point but just as we saw with the bursting of the technology bubble back in 2000 to 2002 you know the underlying economy can move along fairly well and those innovations can continue to happen even if uh, even if stock prices are going through a valuation adjustment as those underlying forces change so i i agree with your point richard in terms of the ability to continue to grow and innovate the bigger challenge may come into play in terms of the ability of valuations to sustain themselves at uh, at a higher than average level that they exist at today
0: i actually happen to agree with both Richard and Eric. Uh, I think you both bring up excellent points and I I think it is in you mentioned Richard about a correction and I I personally think that we are long overdue for one and I think that in terms of uh, monetary policy one of the the important things about it is uh, for lack of a better word, and this is an exaggeration, but the, the risk-free return, I mean, bonds are not risk-free by any means, but they are substantially more risk-free than equities. Uh, and I think it, should, it will be very interesting to see what, as interest rates go up and you can get a better return on a less risky asset um, debt. And I think that it will be very interesting to see whether or not these multiples hold up as you can get back up to five, uh, and I'm not saying this is going to happen next year, but five, five 5.56% uh, interest rate on bonds. And, and as I said, I want to clarify, I'm not saying this will happen next year in terms of interest rates, but I think it'll be
3: interesting. I think you've made a good point there that uh, available money supply, as, as I touched on and as you emphasized, can put the brakes on, uh, on an evolving economy and does certainly affect the multiples. From that standpoint, yes, there is a, uh, an intermediation to, uh, to market values, uh, but fundamentally transformative technologies are going, have been, and are going to dictate the market value growth over the next decade at least. Uh, robotics are going to become a huge transformation to our entire paradigm since the Industrial Revolution and capitalist system. Accretive manufacturing, better known as 3D printing, is going to completely disrupt our traditional post industrial revolution model of supply chains to manufacturing to distribution to retailing. We're, we're standing over the next decade with existing technologies that are going com- to completely transform the way we do business and the way we function as societies. These are going to create both threats and opportunities in the market, and all of them are going to in some total, drive market values much higher
2: than they are today. Yeah, just building on the point that Richard made there, I think one of the biggest misperceptions that exists uh, uh, out in the marketplace today is is the potential for some some major you know, major crash that's gonna, uh, you know, take take the market down and uh, a revisiting of something that we saw during the financial crisis. And I don't see a scenario like that playing out at all. I think, you know, uh, uh, to the point that, that Russell made and, and that that Richard added to, a uh, valuation adjustment and something that could, uh, you know, even result in a, in a bear market, um, it, it wouldn't be a surprising outcome. I'm not saying, necessarily saying that's going to be the outcome. It uh, wouldn't be a surprising outcome, but I think what lies beyond any type of adjustment that the the, the the markets and the economy might have to make in terms of moving off the dependence of, of monetary policy um, or any other forces that have inflated asset prices to this point, there is a lot to be excited about in terms of the innovation that's going on in technology, in healthcare, in manufacturing. Um, that could drive you know that's really set to drive that you know that next. Great growth cycle, Um, you know, similar to what we saw in the '50s and '60s, in the in the '80s and '90s into the turn of the millennium. I I really I really agree with Richard in the point that we are on the brink of of some very you know that next big transformative wave that could uh, uh, you know support asset prices well into the future after any any short term and intermediate term volatility. I just want to
1: offer this up. I agree that look, technology historically has always had an impact on all kinds of businesses and the way they change. But, you know, in 2000, you had a situation where companies like Cisco were, were valued at billions and billions of dollars, Microsoft, et cetera. And for 15 years, their stocks did nothing because the, the, the market value of the companies were way in excess of the cash that they could generate or their earnings power. And so the risk, when we talk about risk, a big risk for investors is always paying way too much for a business because ultimately by doing so, you, you, you're hurting yourself or you're hurting the person who owns that security. So from my standpoint, yes, we're, we're in an interesting time, but let's not forget what you pay for that security is also important.
0: With that said, uh, I'd like to thank all of our contributors and we're going to move into the breakdown, which is where we're each going to say one quick thing that we're looking forward to in this coming week or that we are focusing on. And I'd like to start off with our, our guest, uh, Eric. What are you looking forward to in this coming week?
2: Well, I think we're entering into that time of year where uh, we see the rise in asset prices or the rise in stock prices going into the end of the year. We're seeing what could be the early signs of a potential uh, rotation um, out of momentum into into value. And one of the things I'm looking forward to in the coming week is – um, to see whether that trend sustains itself or if that was just a you know, a blip on the radar screen and what's been a, a fairly strong run for momentum. Also looking forward to see how it, how this uh, this you know the, the tax legislation continues to proceed in Washington. that should be uh, interesting developments as we move towards the end of the year. So thanks,
1: Russell. I'm looking at a specific company with respect to earnings to see how they perform. Also um, as Eric mentioned to see how the tax, Uh, reconciliation plays out and um, you would have to be on a in a different planet not to be looking to see what's going on with Bitcoin as um, daily. That's an intriguing situation. You're going to have futures that are going to become available on Sunday and then the following Sunday with the CME. So, you know, the financial markets are always interesting. Uh, you keep your eyes open.
0: Thank you, Yale and Eric. What I'm looking for is actually a bit of an old place, something people have talked about a while ago, uh, lithium. There's been a lot of movement recently in China buying up lithium deposits, uh, but one country that has a decent de- amount of deposits that is not under China's control is Australia. Uh, that's actually where I'm based and I'm actually uh, taking a long look at Australia's lithium deposits to see if there's any potential action for that.
3: Looking forward uh, in the short term this coming week, I uh, expect retail numbers will continue to dominate the news throughout the holiday season, uh, as they always do at this time of year. Uh, Going into next year, I see uh, a correction, probably and hopefully coming. I would think in in February, after a little holiday season carry-through in January, uh, the the professional traders, the uh, the hedge funds and whatnot will consolidate their position uh, and put themselves in a position to have another good year. Tax uh, change uh, policies uh, will be the largest driver of uh, the markets this coming year and should uh, easily propel them up another 15 to 20% in 2018.
0: Thank you everybody for the breakdown and what you're looking forward to. Very interesting. We actually, as many of our longtime listeners know, Richard actually gives us an options breakdown for the company that we were interviewing. And we're actually going to start that as its own segment now. So Richard's option corner will be what we're calling it. And Richard, please take us away. Well, thanks Russell.
3: My eye on options this week was challenging. Amazon $1,200 $1200 a share makes it a uh, unaffordable option unless you're a financial investment house. So I tried to find another way to offer an idea and what I came up with is sort of a proxy play uh, for Amazon, one of their uh, key a segment of their key suppliers. Uh, packaging. Most of everything Amazon does goes out their door in a package. One of those uh, companies is international paper that supplies the boxing. And so I've looked at that, the uh, fair value of international paper based on their dividend yield, which does show a good correlation to price over time because they're a cash cow. Fair value is $63.33. Current market price of the shares is fifty-six eighty. So it's So it's trading at a fundamental uh, discount to value. Uh, I suggest as an idea that buyers consider the 42-day law of puts, writing cash-covered puts, for the January 19th, 2018, $55 strike at $0.78 cent premium. This gives you a 1.44% absolute Return on your investment, your covering cash, which is a 12.5% annualized yield rate.
0: Thank you for listening. I would like to thank Eric and Yale and Richard. Yale and Richard are our constant contributors that are on. And I would definitely like to thank Eric for being the first outside contributor to come on the show. Eric, would you just mind taking one second to tell us? I believe you have a marketplace account of Seeking Alpha. So could you please quickly tell us about that? And it will be linked on our post.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Russell. And, and thank you, Russell, Richard and Yale for having me on uh, today for the podcast. I really, really enjoyed uh, being on today. And uh, yes, I have a marketplace service on uh, Seeking Alpha. It's called The Universal. And the goal of The Universal is to uh, focus on asset allocation strategies, broadly diversified investment portfolios that are designed to, to generate consistent, market performance, or consistent portfolio performance in all market environments.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show, Chasing the Elephant, and... Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. Investing money in capital markets involves risk and could result in losing money. While the people on this podcast express their own opinions, only you can determine if a specific investment is right for your portfolio. You should always do your own research before buying or selling any investment. Remember, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Future results are likely to be different from past performance. All equity portfolios involve risk and may lose money. One should research any investment and make sure it is suitable with your objectives, risk tolerance, risk profile, liquidity concerns, tax situation, and anything else pertinent to your financial situation. Also, attaining or holding the CFA credential in no way suggests performance will be superior than a market index or market return. While this podcast is exclusive to Seeking Alpha, we are in no way direct employees of Seeking Alpha, and we are not directly endorsed by Seeking Alpha. Thank you.